uh, hand as well. They do a, a great job every year putting that uh, event together. And as Tim mentioned already, it's, um, it is a dark holiday. Um, there isn't any... Uh, it's not meant to be a light holiday. It's not meant to be a holiday that represents and reflects on the Lord, but it's something that we can, um, we can redeem for the Lord and uh, use. That's the Lord. That's, you know, God didn't create uh, um, a calendar without that day in it. And obviously he didn't create Halloween, but that is his day. And if the world wants to throw uh, darkness at it, we can throw light at it, Right. I mean, it's not the world's day, and uh, we don't just say, well, that day, you know, leaves our calendar because the world has made it so dark. Um, every day has a lot of darkness in it. Um, we just need to throw light and infuse light into to, um, the days that God has given us, and so I appreciate them for putting that on. Um, I was talking with Debbie Serrano this morning about how many opportunities that we had to share the gospel that evening. She said that they did not count, but that she was able to share the gospel with a family that didn't know, the, didn't know who Jesus was and had no idea who Jesus Christ was. So what a, without that evening, that wouldn't have happened. And so what a, what a marvelous testimony to how the Lord can take and use something um, for his glory. And so thankful for that opportunity. Um, Turn, turn in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews 5 and, and, and 6. And, and while you're turning there, I'm just going to pray over the, over the services. Father, we do thank you that you are capable of um, doing amazing things in difficult circumstances and situations that, Lord, you can take light and infuse it to the, to the darkest of things including our souls before they're saved, and you can bring them to life. And we know that you are powerful. We know that you are life-giving. And um, it humbles us and makes us thankful for what you have done for us. We thank you for those who are here today. We pray that you will bless them um, through your word. We pray, Lord God, that the music that was just um, presented was pleasing to you and that you received us it as praise from the hearts full of people who love you, um, we're, we're broken, we're frail, we're, we offer that which is um, not perfect. And, and yet, Lord God, we trust that you are merciful and gracious to receive it and that it would bring joy to your heart and a smile to your face. Thank you for the privilege to worship you today. We do pray for those who are hurting and um, that you would strengthen and bless them. We pray for those who are um, the first responders in the fires right now, that you would help them as well, give them strength. And maybe, may these moments be moments of reminders of eternal things and bring many to yourself through it. Um, thank you so much for what you do, for who you are, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. If you would follow along, uh, we'll read chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6 and verse 6. Um, the main theme will be to conclude this. We've had a three-week series on this passage of Scripture. We've looked at the, 
um, source of dull Christianity and the sign of dull Christianity or signs of dull Christianity from these verses. And this morning, we're just going to simply look at the solution. So we've, we've seen what causes it. We've seen um, some signs to identify, perhaps if you're falling into it, um, if you're finding that your, your pattern of your, the pattern of your Christian life is, 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 is downward and not upward. And there are some signs, some symptoms, if you will, that you can look for in your life to identify. And then you can resist those things. You can, you can war. You can war against those things. And one of the unique characteristics of God's word, one of the unique, unique characteristics of Christianity is that we believe that God does everything. And we believe that God is the source of all things that he that he is the one who saves us and he is the one who sanctifies us and he is the one who ultimately will glorify us. Yet, yet at the same time in his word, we are called to fight with every ounce of our strength for sanctification. We're not called to give lip service to not only sanctification, but to sal- we're not called to give lip service to salvation, nor are we called to give lip service to sanctification, even though we know that both of them are acts of God's amazing strength, his grace, his ability. We're not called to be lazy or lackadaisical in those things. As a matter of fact, we're called to fight for those things. We're called to fight for those things with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're called to put on the new man, We're called to live out what he has put within us. And he says, not only to live it out, but to live it out with fear and trembling. So while we know and believe that God does everything, we're not called to be inactive or passive in our Christianity. We're called to pursue it. And the the, the other unique piece of it is the pursuit of it is a passion that he has given us. He tells us in... um, I want to read another verse to you out of 1 Corinthians 15 that the Apostle Paul tells us how it looked in his life in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And if you want to turn there, you're welcome to. But um, if not, just follow, just listen. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 10, for by the grace of God, I am what I am. And we all say amen to that, right? And by the grace of God, I am forgiven, By the grace of God, I am justified. By the grace of God, I am righteous in his sight. By the grace of God, I have been set apart for his work. By the grace of God, all of these things are true. By the grace of God, I am perfect in God's God's sight. By his grace, all of these things are true. But he doesn't stop there. He says, um, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it was his grace towards that... And, and his grace toward me was not in vain. It was not empty. It was not worthless. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. So the Apostle Paul says that the grace that God gave me wasn't, wasn't worthless. And if you remember what he says in the book of Philippians, he says that the Lord purchased the Apostle Paul so that he might attain to something. He might reach a goal. He might, he might reach an end. He might press towards this prize. And we know that the prize is perfection. The prize is this, is this utter, um, both external and internal, um, righteousness with God. He was, he, was, he was purchased, and the Apostle Paul says in Philippians that his goal was to attain to that which he was purchased for. And he says here that, that um, 
It is the grace of God that he is what he is, but God's grace was not in vain to him. On the contrary, he says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but it was the grace of God that was in me. Again, what he's saying is, is that the apostle Paul received God's grace, which made him who he was, and then he labored with all of his strength in that grace, and when he labored with all of his strength in that grace, it was the grace of God that was actually laboring through him. It was never his own strength. It was never his own might. It was never his own power. It was always the strength and the might and the power of God in him, but yet he pursued, but yet he worked towards, yet he worked harder than anybody else. This is the call that we have as Christians is not just to take the grace of God or the mercy of God for granted, but to live out that grace and that mercy of God. Let that grace and the mercy of God become fruitful in the lives of those people who are around us. The challenge is, the challenge that we have in scripture is that those who do not work out or live out this transformation that they claim to have happened in them, the challenge is, is there's a chance that it has never been worked into them. It's not there, it's not present. The life, the life transforming presence of God is not in their heart. They profess to be Christians, they profess to be followers of Christ, but they don't follow him. It's kind of somewhat of an oxymoron, isn't it? Somebody who says, I'm a follower of Christ, but doesn't follow Christ. I'm afraid that we live in a culture today that believes that following Christ is a phrase that you say and not an action that you do. A follower of Christ is one who follows in his footsteps. It's literally a picture, you've heard the story of the, you know, the one footprints in the sand, right? One set of footprints in the sand, and you've heard that that's the time that God is carrying an individual because it's a difficult time, and and we could probably see that happen. But when when it comes to discipleship, it's not that there's one footprint in the sand because God is carrying us, it's that there's one footprint in the sand because we're because we're stepping in his footprints behind him. We're walking in the footprints that he has made for us. We're following the path that he has established, and we're just following in his footprints, so our footprints are not seen at all. His footprints are seen. It is him setting the path, paving the way that we follow in. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we, um, as believers, that's what we will do. And it, some call it the perseverance of the saints. But true Christianity is not heartless Christianity. It's not emotionless Christianity. It's not passionless Christianity. It fills our hearts. It consumes every, every aspect of our being it consumes all of us so that the command, the command to pursue, the command to work, the command to not become lazy is not necessarily a command as much as it is simply an instruction because we already have the passion for it, right? It's like telling your kids to go eat candy, right? You don't, it's not a command, is it? It's an allowance. It's like, okay, <laughs> thank you, mom and dad. I will go and do that. It's the same principle in the scriptures. When he, when he gives us these things, I think of what he says in John 8 with the woman who was caught in adultery and they're gonna stone her, right? 
And he says to her, he, he says, you know, those who have no sin cast the first stone and nobody does. And he says to her, go and sin no more. I don't think of that as necessarily a command as much as it is an allowance. There's a transformation that has taken place in that, visual, in that individual's heart based upon the grace and the mercy of God that they no longer have to go live in that lifestyle anymore. They no longer have to be bound by that sin anymore. They are being set free from that sin and from that difficulty. So we need to see those things in our life and what our text tells us as we um, will read here He says in verse number 11, about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since we have become, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the the word of righteousness since he is a child. Make note of this. The idea of not being, not, the idea of still being on milk does not mean that you're a milk drinker and you're just not ready for meat yet. It means that milk has not taken effect itself. Okay, the milk has not taken, uh, impacted the body in the way that it should because the milk would naturally lead a person to be able to eat meat. He's going to describe that to us in the next portion. In other words, people who try to go from justification to sanctification but always tend to go back because they can't move forward, there's a chance that justification has never taken root in their heart. There's a chance that they're not believers. And they're trying to move past it. They're trying to move to the sanctification process where there is no justification. There is no power in an individual's life to move into the outworking of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't live within them. So the milk has not taken effect. And therefore they cannot go on to meat. And again, for many, the justification has not taken effect. Salvation has not taken effect, and therefore they cannot go on to the next step. We want to remember this. Sanctification is not optional to a believer. It's not optional to the Christian life. Any more than justification is, any more than glorification is. It's not optional. Sanctification is the only visible part of our salvation. It's the peace that we can actually see happening. We can see sanctification happening. We can't see justification happening. We cannot see glorification happening, but we can see sanctification happening. So if the milk has not set in, if the milk has not taken effect, they'll never be able to go on to meat. And they need not focus on meat. They need to focus on milk. Getting milk settled, and we'll talk about that here in a bit. He says, going on, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have the power of discernment, trained by uh, constant practice to distinguish good from, from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ. Let us leave the basic doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again or, or not setting up again, if you will, a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of, of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. In other words, not going backwards 
to those things. He says, um, and we will, and this we will do if God allows. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come that, and then have fallen away, and some versions say fallen away from grace, that we've tasted all of these things, we've experienced all of these things, and I believe that the reference in this passage is to a corporate event, a corporate church. They've, they've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Word of God. They've experienced the heavenly gifts. They've experienced all of these things in a corporate sense. And if you, if you think about the context of Hebrews, he's talking about Old Testament things. Everything in the Old Testament was somewhat corporate. So he's referring back to this corporate event. And you've experienced all of these things corporately, but you continue to fall away from grace. It's impossible, the Bible says, to restore you back again to repentance. He says, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him in contempt. Now, if you, if you, would, if you would with me, uh, turn, hold your finger there in Hebrews and turn to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Listen to what Peter has to say about this, this same uh, thought process of growing or maturing as a believer and, and the importance to it. Um, at the very least, Peter writes of it in such a way as to, that it brings confidence for a believer, uh, brings assurance, if you will, of salvation. But, but in addition to that, it, it, it brings a boldness and it brings a greater um, strength and encouragement. And Romans 5 tells us the same thing when it talks about the growth that we experience as Christians is very affirming of the hope that is within us. Verse 3 of 2 Peter 1, his divine power hath granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which we have, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them we may, we may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful lust or desires. For this very reason, make every effort. Okay, here's that effort. You talk about the previous portion. It's like God has done all of these things. He's given us this divine nature. He has made us a partaker of all of these wonderful things but then he says, he goes on to talk about make every effort, okay? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And again, other versions say add to it. Um, it, it it's, a, it's, a, it's a growth process. Supplementing faith does not mean that faith is not sufficient and that it needs to be supplemented and it needs to be um, in order to be complete, to have more things, okay? It, it's sufficient in and of itself, but we're to add to it. And the adding to it that is given to us in this scripture, also in the book of James, again, is not optional. It is, it is um, evidence that it is true faith, okay? Adding works to faith is not make faith complete, Adding works to faith makes faith proven, or it proves faith. 
It proves faith to be authentic. If somebody says, I have faith in Christ, if I have faith in, in the word of God, but they open the word of God and they don't ever make any application to it, the reality is, is that their, their heart is far from their words, right? In, in other words, they're saying something that isn't true about them in their heart. And one day, like Hebrews 4 tells us, God's gonna open them up and he's not going to dissect what they, they did in the flesh, but he's gonna look into their heart and see what their motives were to see why they did those things. So here's what he says. He says, so, so add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control steadfastness and steadfastness godliness and godliness brotherly affection and brotherly affection love. Okay, so all of these things were to add to faith. And in other words, this is the sanctification. This is what a person should be going through. Listen, it is so important that we understand and get this. These are all heart things. It doesn't say add to your faith more church attendance. Add to your faith more offerings. Because those are things that he's talking about moving away from. I'm not saying we don't go to church more, we don't give offerings more, but he's talking about true spiritual things, things that matter. Humility. Add to your life humility. That's a sign of a Christian. Add to your life humility. You say, well, Pastor John, it's impossible. I, I hate humility. Exactly. It only happens by the Spirit of God living within you. But God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the, to the humble. Add to your life humility. Add to your life some things that are, that are in, in, ingrained in the heart that you cannot change, but only God can. Pursue those things. Folks, there's too much ritualistic Christianity going on today where people are adding on all of these external things, but their heart's a mess. And they think because they've added on all these external things, they have the facade put in really good order but once you poke them with a pin, they explode and you see what's exactly what's inside of their hearts. This is a dangerous thing. He says, not, don't add external things, but add these internal things. Add things that you have no control over because that's the things that God does. And those are the things that prove us. He says in verse number eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities, whoever is not growing in these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be of all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. He says, be all the more diligent to practice these things. Be all the more diligent to, to work these things out. Be all the more diligent to, to exercise these things in your daily life. Be all the more diligent to these things, lest you forget that you were forgiven of your original sins, or lest you were not forgiven of your original sins. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, or 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself 
to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize that this about yourself, that Christ Jesus is in you? Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? If indeed, unless indeed you fail the test. In other words, unless indeed you find that he is not dwelling inside of you. That your religion is purely an external religion and not an internal religion. That it is a transformation of your outside and not a transformation of your inside. That you're no more humble today than you were the day before you got saved. That you're no more loving today than you were the day before you got saved. That you're no more forgiving today than the day before you got saved. That you're no more gracious today than the day before you got saved. That you're no more merciful today than the day before you... All of these things are things of the heart. You can't create them on your own. And yet we're told to pursue them with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because they are the evidence that we are saved. They are what prove us to be followers of Christ. They don't make you a follower of Christ, but they prove you as one. James is very important to understand when you read the book of James that it's dealing with, with justification of justification. Justification of faith, evidence of faith. It doesn't mean that justification comes by works, but justification is proven by works. It is justified by works. This is important for us to get. Let's go back to our text. Let me say this to you, and I'm going to move on. We'll look at three simple thoughts. Let me say this to you. The pinnacle of this text is found in verse number six. We're going to look at the the other half of this, verses 7 through 12, next week or so. But this text is written in such a way that that it's like a triangle, okay? It literally means that this side of the text goes like this, and this side of the text goes like this. At the beginning of the text, in verse number 11 of this chapter, it talks about dole of hearing. At the end, in verse number 12, it talks about dole of hearing. You have the same, you have this, you have these, these book ends, and the middle of the text goes like this, and it peaks right in the middle. And the peak right in the middle is this, and this is so important that we get this before we move on. Why is all of this important? Sometimes when we talk about these things, it's very easy to become super man-centered, right? It becomes all about us. Why is it that all of these things are important? Here's what he says in verse 6. He says, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Now watch this. The reason why this is important is not necessarily for your reputation and testimony, but it is for the reputation and testimony of Christ. It is for the reputation and testimony of Christ. He says, since they are present tense, they are present tense by going backwards into these traditions and rituals, they are present tense crucifying, they are present tense crucifying once again. This term means over and over and over and over again. They continuously crucify Christ. Another version says this way, that they continuously put Christ to open shame. When we think of the significance of the cross, the shame of the cross, the embarrassment of the cross, those who continue to go back and forth and back and forth continue to crucify Christ. In many ways, folks, it's like some of the religious systems that we 
we preach against that continuously preach or teach that we crucify Christ every time we do a certain ceremony or sacrament. They continuously crucify Christ, the Son of God, to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. They continuously do this by going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and not being settled in these things. You see, at the end of the day, it's all about, it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ's testimony. It's all about how we represent him, how we reflect on him. Our dull Christianity, if we walk around with a frown on our face and we walk around with no joy in our heart and there's no peace and there's no humility and there's no grace and there's no mercy and all of those things, that may be bad for us, but listen, that doesn't really matter as much as it does how we are reflecting on the Son of God. That's really what matters, isn't it? That's really the point of why we do what we do. It's not so it will reflect great on us. So I went to church this week and I, hey, did you see that, did you see that money I put in the offering plate when, I was, when it was being passed? And that's not the point of why we do what we do. The point is Christ is worthy. Christ is magnificent. Christ is sufficient for us to pursue him, love him, embrace him, and give all that we have to him. And to do everything in our power to never display to the world around us that Christ is insufficient and insignificant. We do it a lot though, don't we? We show Christ insufficiency. We show Christ insignificance by the way that we act and live. This is not as much about us as it is about him. It's about his testimony. It's about his reputation. It's about his value, not ours. The whole of Christian life is not about us. The whole of Christian life is about him. You've got to remember that, folks. You're not saved today because you were something special. You're saved today because you were something needy, and the Lord saw you as one through whom he decided to show his favor and his grace and his mercy God decided that you were going to be somebody through which he showed how amazing his grace is. And you know why he did it? To show how amazing his grace is. Ephesians chapter number one. He did it all for the glory of his grace. He did it all for himself. 1 Corinthians chapter number one, he says that he has chosen the weak things, he has chosen the insignificant things, he has chosen the, there's three things there, but he's chosen all of those things so that he might confound the other side so that at the end of the day, when we stand before God, no flesh will glory in his presence. In other words, there will be nobody who will see themselves as significant, but those who glory will glory in the, in the Lord. Listen to me this morning, God is all about his son, God the Father loves his son. God the Father put his son forth as an eternal sacrifice for our sins. And God the Father saves you as a reward to his son. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. What we can do each day is we can worship Christ. We can honor Christ. We can pursue Christ. We can represent Christ as best as we possibly can, and that is to the glory of God. Why? Because God is all about Christ, and we should all be about Christ as well. Amen? 
So, a few things, three things. I don't want to be long on them, but you know that that's famous last words, so I'm going to try not to be long on them. Here's what he says, just a few thoughts. Number one, he says at the end of verse, at the, uh, in verse 14 of chapter number five, but solid food is not for the mature, but for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So how do we pursue this? The first way that we pursue this Christ exaltation um, is by practicing discernment. It's by practicing discernment, practicing the um, choosing, being able, first of all, to distinguish between right and wrong, um, practicing that, working at that. And, and, and let me just describe this for you. Um, the term means to train, exercise, or to practice. And in relation to, in relation to discernment, it means to put effort and energy into practicing being able to choose right, being able to discern right from wrong and being able to choose right, right from wrong. The Apostle Paul says it well in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not good for me. All things are lawful for me, but I will never be brought under the power of any. The Apostle Paul knew the importance and the value of being able to discern right from wrong and being able to choose that which was right. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, Verse 24 through 27, he talks about how he, he disciplined his body into subjection so that he could then make these right decisions. In other words, if you ever let your body, uh, I'm gonna maybe say it in a different way, if you, ever, if you ever let your desires, your passions become the Lord of your life, you'll be in trouble. And it can, it can, it can number a, a lot of different things. The Apostle Paul understood the only way that I'm going to ever be able to get this issue of discernment down, which ultimately is going to lead to the glory of my Savior Jesus Christ and the glory of God the Father, the only way I'm going to be able to get that down is not let my, not let my fleshly lust and desires control me. So what did he do? He disciplined himself. He disciplined himself. He practiced discipline. He practiced discernment on a regular basis so that he would have this, he would have this down and he would be able to glorify God in this way. So practice discernment. And again, discover spiritual truths. Identify, be able to identify that which is right and wrong. And practice that. Practice being able to, to, to discern what is right and what is wrong. Discern it. Okay? So, so that means exercise it. Practice it. And then you not only practice this discernment, but then you develop spiritual habits off of that practice. So your ability to distinguish between right and wrong grows into a habit of being able to distinguish between right and wrong. It's very much like an athlete. Athletes don't start off being able to choose the right foods. They, they probably have some fleshly desires that point them in a certain direction that's not healthy for them. But what they do is they begin to practice discerning, okay, this is not healthy for me and this is healthy for me. And they begin to practice that and it becomes a habit for them. And then they no longer have to practice that much. Now they're just beginning to, they're just gonna be carrying it out or performing it, right? We practice things physically. We practice things from a health perspective. The same principle applies to our spiritual life. If we're going to live out rightly in our spiritual life, we have to practice discernment. We have to be able to discover what spiritual truths are there, develop habits in those spiritual gifts, and, practice, and then practice those habits. I wrote down here, 
Be thoughtful, be decisive, and be precise. Especially in those, in those upfront stages. You've got to think through. Every decision that you make as a Christian, you've got to think through it. When you're learning to discern right from wrong, you've got to think. And you've got to evaluate and you've got to process these things so that you ultimately put right in the right category and wrong in the wrong category and then to begin to develop habits of those things. And then once you develop those habits, then you exercise those spiritual muscles. Okay? Then you work those muscles. You strengthen them. You make them more um, powerful in making those decisions. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7 through 10 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For whole For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way or every aspect as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So practice those spiritual uh, habits, practice those spiritual truths, practice that discernment, work it out like you work out as an athlete. Think through it, process it, meditate on it, and then live it out, work it out. And ultimately, we'll be able to move away from this dull Christianity. Listen, exercising is sometimes can be dull, especially if you're just getting started out in it, but you work at it and you understand the values of it. You start to appreciate the benefits of it. You start to develop habits about it. And then you work on it and work on it and work at it, and it becomes a blessing to you. Um, you, become, you become in love with it. You fall in love with it. The same thing applies to our Christian life. If our Christian life is becoming dull, Maybe we need to work at some of these things to make it so that it's not dull anymore. We must fight for the vibrancy of our Christianity. We must fight for the vibrancy. We must fight for the life of our Christianity. Otherwise, we grow dull. And the scriptures talk about those who grow dull. It's not a good sign. So number one is we, we have to... Um, let's see, what did I... Number one, first thought this morning is practice discernment. The second thing is settle on some of the fundamentals. Look at what he says in verse number six. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ. And there's some fundamental things, some basic things that we need to settle on. And I, and I want to say this. There, there's a list of them mentioned in uh, a verse or two following that give us some description of what these things mean. And there's some debate over what each one of those means. But the basic principle is, is the Christian life should be a life that moves forward and not backwards. Okay, It should be a forward motion in our lives. And um, when it comes to the Old Testament principles, the, the, the practices and the ceremonies of the Old Testament, you know, those things pointed to Christ. When it comes to Christ, now we have embraced Christ, so we should move past those things. Those things should no longer... Um, those things should no longer be a part of the process of our embracing Christ. We've, we've embraced the, the completion or the fulfillment of those things. So it says, it says the, the word it uses here is leave. Let us, leave there, let us therefore leave the elementary doctrines of Christ. And the word literally means to send away, to forsake, to leave alone, to disregard, or to put off. It's a, it's a term that's describing total detachment. In 1 Corinthians 7, it, it's used to describe when a husband abandons his wife and that there's room for divorcement in, in that situation as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 7. But the idea is a total abandonment. 
It's, it's a total forsaking. And it's not spoken in 1 Corinthians 7 in a healthy way, but here it's used, the same term is used to talk about those things that are the elementary doctrines of Christ, those things that are in the past, that we're to leave those things off. We're to embrace Christ in his, in his fulfillment of, of all of those pictures, if you will, that were mentioned in the Old Testament. We're to embrace the fulfillment of those pictures, and, and therefore we're to forsake those pictures, or what uh, Hebrews uh, 9 or 10 says are shadows of things that are to come. These are the Old Testament external things. So, so all of the external things in the Old Testament that were meant to point us to Christ are, need to be forsaken so that we can embrace the internal transformation that Christ truly gets. Okay? The, the internal change. So we're to leave off these things. It says the elementary things, which means first basic things. Um, the first principles, we're to leave off these first principles. And then we're to settle some things. Um, settle, settle in your heart what those things represented so that you can leave them off. Settle in your, in your heart what these things were all about and then leave them off. And then the last thing he says this morning is to strive for maturity, to move on. So once you've settled, once you've practiced and then settled, now it's time to, to move. It's time to move forward, to, to, to go to the next step, to move from justification, move from shadows to justification, to sanctification, to glorification, to move through this process and not continuously move back and forth in it. Settle down on those pictures. Settle down on your salvation. Settle in on your sanctification and, and pursue it because that is the, that is the one thing that's gonna last you for um, the remainder of your earthly life is your sanctification. It is the pursuit of, of Christ-likeness in you. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make mine, to make my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which lie behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, I want to reach that goal. I'm, I'm, I'm stretching out for the prize so that I can attain that thing for which Christ attained me. Why did Christ attain me? Why did Christ purchase me? Paul says, I want to attain to that goal. I want that to be seen in me. And when you get home, um, read Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, uh, talks about putting on Christ, putting on the new man. So just in closing, the danger, the danger is that dull Christianity is a sign of heartless Christianity. It's a sign of possibly an unregenerate individual. That should be resisted. It should be resisted with all of our power, with all of our might, with all of our strength, but it's to be resisted by the grace of God. And it's to be resisted in such a way as to be internal and not simply external. We're not just to um, do the churchy things, but we're to have the churchy heart. We're to have a heart that is a reflection of Christ. So think and meditate on that this morning, if you would, and let, let's close in prayer. And Father, we do thank you for uh, this time together. We pray your blessing upon it. Lord, help us to be in pursuit of what you are working to accomplish in our lives. And um, 
pray that you'd bless the remainder of our service as well. In Christ's name.